0: you're listening to the Manufacturing
1: Ignition podcast. Keep updated with the latest news, recruitment advice, and hot topics within the UK manufacturing industry. Sponsored by Bonfire Recruitment, helping
0: manufacturing leaders across the UK to attract the best talent for their manufacturing company. Ignite your business or career today by visiting www.bonfirerecruitment.com. Here's your hosts, Terry Mallin and Scott Buchanan.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Manufacturing Ignition podcast, hosted by myself, Terry Marlin, and my co-host Scott Buchanan. Hi, Terry. How you How you doing? I'm okay, Scott. I'm okay, Scott. How are you? I'm all right, although
0: I'm feeling as though I'm turning into a, a scrooge already. Um, can, you be,
1: can you believe? Christmas is but just pushing shy a, a month away. What's going on? uh it makes. Uh, actually, do you want to? Know what I'm seeing more Sky movies with Christmas things on every single day. You know, supermarkets have been like this since September, and I know a lot of the food companies that I work with are obviously really, really busy at the moment. Well, so yeah, yeah, it won't be it won't be long until till Christmas is round the corner
0: yeah remember last week we were talking about you know I guess phone etiquette and so on and one of the things is that i mean I received and i guess I see I actually love Christmas and I can't wait till that that period but it's it's more that period and and for me the middle of November really isn't Christmas period <laughs> Do you know that way so I guess how you know when is the right time to start looking at christmas you know when when should it be and I know come january
1: we'll we'll start seeing Easter eggs again. <laughs> um, is, is, that, is that the way to do it I don't know well do you want to watch? see this week I've put it in reverse actually because I've went on a, a health kick which normally you would do in January but I've started it the now just in the run up to Christmas just because I, I know you know at the, end of the day it's one of those ones where actually just they feel better as well Absolutely. so yeah, I can, I, I'm I'm kind of I'm already signing up for gym memberships too early uh, that I'll probably use for a couple of weeks and then I'll just pack it in. (laughs) (laughs) Get into that, the the, the, the pre-Christmas belly, eh? (laughs) Uh, Well, you could say that. that. So, guys, for those tuning in for the first time, both Scott and myself have been working within manufacturing recruitment for over 15 years combined. And that's been all specifically within management uh, or technical recruitment. And over the past two and a half years specifically, we've been growing our own business, which is Bonfire, to be a leader in recruiting within the manufacturing sector across the UK. We started this podcast uh, to give a completely impartial view on the latest manufacturing news, discuss specific hot topics and give an insight into recruitment and people retainment. So cracking on with episode four, I can't believe we're on episode four already, Scott. Doesn't time fly
0: when you're having fun? You?
1: Oh, it does. It certainly does. It certainly does. So this week, what we'll be covering, uh, the latest news as always, the hot topic will be on current issues affecting manufacturing today. And our recruitment minute is going to be on the final two solutions to the problems discussed on previous episodes. So this will be the final two solutions to the problems. So we'll just get cracking, Scott? So what's
0: the latest news this week? Sounds like a plan, okay. Well, it's um, th- this time of year is always interesting from a manufacturing perspective because I guess, as you just quite rightly said, it's, it's busy times. But but it's also a time where um, there, there seems to be quite a lot of uh, awards coming out, and then um, there's uh, there's been a few that, that that caught my eye. Actually, two within the same competition it would appear. But the the, 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 the 2017 Shell LiveWire. Um, top 10 innovators competition and then the, the, the results were announced in the last last week or so whereby there's actually two UK entries that, that were in the top ten and this is a global you know it's a global piece. There's a company called Acceleron and um, where Car- Carlton Cummins um is co-founder of has been named the overall winner um, receiving fifteen thousand dollars rather worth wow. of prize money. Yeah not too bad. But see what, what caught my eye was the that he's created, uh, or the business has created, an innovative solution on the problem of waste batteries. So they're harnessing the untapped health of recycling lithium batteries, which is typically over seventy percent, and they extend the use um, phase for cut consumers. And once the original mm-hmm. storage energy is used up, um, Acceleron repurposes the battery as storage for renewable energy, which can then be endlessly replaced. So it's you know you know that way, where um, I think you know I think typically we use is it lead acid batteries. You know that way. Yeah. Um, I think that these guys can now produce this kind of quality of renewable energy battery for the same price as a as a lead acid battery. It's incredible. Wow. Um, so, as that is, that is. So I guess. Time and with your Christmas toys, you know that 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 you, you know the, the the bunny that you you like playing with at Christmas. You know that that'll keep going on and on. All right. Interesting. And and who who was second then? Um, it was a Scottish gentleman, um, Fergus Moore. Um, he's he's transformed a coffee waste. Um, so you know, if you go, go, you get your posh coffee sometimes, and you 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 know you get the the nice yeah. coffee at one side, but you get that that massive messy coffee waste. I don't, I don't know what yeah that okay
1: term is, but for, for, for the ground beans, so like for, the the, the so, Okay, the yeah.
0: he's managed to convert that waste um, into biofuels with with his company. I think it's called Revive. Yeah. Good idea. Good idea. Yeah, yeah. He got seven and a half um seven and a half grand or so um, from, from Shell as well for, for, for being a runner up. So not not too bad. <laughs> Tell too. you what,
1: if he um <laughs> if if he if, if that's used wisely and it takes off, we'll get more than seven and a half K investment going forward. That's um that's good stuff because think about the amount of people drink coffee these oh, days. Yes. You know, you just need to sign up a big contract with your Starbucks and Costa, and that's you. Job done. Do you know that way you know and produce that into the pellets? Well, there's Amazing. an energy
0: piece, but there's also the targets that each of the you know governments, are going to you know, certainly the UK, but I'm sure further afield as well, have all signed up to as well. So, again, time in with what you're saying, boy, of coffee getting used. You know, this you know, it's, it's a great innovation. So, so well done to, to both of them, yeah. and actually, to some of the other countries as well. You, you can see it on that, on that, their own website. Yeah. But they're, they're so totally good ideas. So,
1: So the top two winners were both from the UK and they were the only people from the UK out of the top 10? Yeah. um, And you're looking at other items
0: such as um, Nigeria, um, Brazil, Saudi Arabia, Italy, Nigeria, again, Trinidad and Tobago. So they are all get a lesser, you know, still $5,000. So
1: yeah. And obviously, I looked into Shell Livewire years and years ago and, and uh, you know, that is an organisation. They help entrepreneurs to start their own businesses. Yeah, yeah. I think they have been. Running for about thirty odd years, and you know they kind of pre- provide support such as like training, workshops, grants is a big thing that they're known for, and obviously awards and mentoring as well. So it's a yeah really interesting uh, organisation. So well done to those guys. And then moving on to the next the next bit of news, Scott. Yeah, well, um,
0: tie in with I think podcast two we touched on was the industrial revolution, I guess. Um, or the 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 fourth industrial revolution, <laughs> rather, there's been a few since. Um, is uh, this this week is LCR four point zero, which is the UK's manufacturing first that aims to put Liverpool City Region at the heart of an evolution which is going to transform production in the modern world economy.
1: Do you want to know what I have seen that, Scott? I've seen that because obviously I do a lot of work in the northwest. And and if I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think these guys have been going for about a year. But I know they've been helping manufacturing businesses specifically within Liverpool, uh, giving them some practical support. Leading between the lines, I think, I mean, it's a
0: European-funded idea. Or there's certainly budget coming from that, and we'll touch on this later on about, I guess, what the future holds. But it looks as though they've, they've got, um, yeah, it's, it's to support that part of the world. But, uh, world rather. but um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're looking at, you know, connecting and innovating, digitalizing, and then growing, you know, businesses. Um, but it's important. It's, it's yeah you know, it's SME-related, um, you know, manufacturing companies and the supply chains, you know, so things, you know, companies that are looking within, I guess, big science, life sciences, advanced manufacturing, you know, low carbon and renewable technologies, and I guess, well, the creative and digital piece as well, um, seems to be yeah. what they're,
1: they're going to Well, it's good. Guess. Well, it's good. I'm actually on, I'm actually on the website at the minute, so... I mean, the thing that they've got, there's a lot of good detail in there. If anyone wants to check that out, it's lcr4.uk. You know, the benefits of this would be if you're looking to, you know, the schemes get set up to increase productivity and give good innovation ideas to manufacturers. So that could be like virtual reality, Internet of Things, or cloud computing and how they can adapt that to improve productivity, which hopefully improves uh, cash within the business as well. But I think the big plan, looking at this, yeah, have got they've got uh, the program runs until two thousand and nineteen. and they expect to work with two hundred businesses, support seventy new new product development projects, and that'll create sixty new jobs out the back of it. So yeah, check that out. LCR4.uk as I said, good info, case studies, and there's a contact tab. We've got no affiliation with the company. I've never spoke to anyone within the company, no. but they, they, it's they, they they'll, they'll look pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess it's, it's the way
0: the world's going as well. Do you know that way? And I'm guessing this is similar to some of the, the, the Scottish organisations, you know, the Advanced Form of Research Centre and so on, whereby it's actually helping, you know, up-and-coming businesses, I guess, or established businesses that are looking to implement a modern way of working as well you know, to, to move with the times and, and make more money, I guess. So,
1: yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, if you take if you take your uh, Fergus Moore, that you mentioned in the first piece on news, you know, once he gets up and running and gets a bit of funding behind him, you know, if he's taking advantage of any of the opportunities to increase productivity of that product, then, you know, that's the type of thing that would be hugely beneficial. Definitely. But uh, look, moving on, um, and
0: yep. a topic close to your heart, I know, is that um, one of uh, Scotland's largest producer of marmalade and jam um, is, is in parking on a three point nine million investment to expand um, their own site by fifty percent. All right, so there's going to be more mm-hmm. jam good. for your toast than that, and that Saturday morning that you always look forward to.
1: Good, good. And I know MacKay's is a company in 1995 they were making ten thousand jars a year, right, and now. 2017, they make about 25 million jars a year. So it's, I mean that, that that's over 22 years, and I know they employ about 180 people. So yeah, I mean this is only going to further improve the company, take advantage of the opportunities that are presented. It's good jam. I do like it. My toast that is really good. So and, and off the back of that, Scott, actually, when you're talking about uh, the company um, investing the Scottish Scottish foods, Scottish food and drinks companies our manufacturers can benefit from a free uh, £4.6 million grant. Now, this is a government grant. Um, it has been shared out already to the necessary companies, but the whole purpose of it was to safeguard and create new jobs and actually boost productivity. Okay. So I know the type of stuff. When I was looking down the list of the companies that have received this uh, funding grant. Um, you know, Some of them are using it to support new products, extending existing lines, you know, building new facilities or upgrading existing equipment. Um, so it was good to see the Scottish government actually backing food manufacturing companies to to increase, uh, you know, to increase opportunity for future.
0: Definitely. No, it's um, it's good that that, that that is there. And I guess that's going to tie in where actually going forward with the, the whole European piece that's kicking in, you know, how that actually is going to work out longer term. But we'll, we'll touch on that maybe a little bit later on then. That- I, was,
1: I was going to say, Scott, I was going to say, did you hear? Yeah, is, is that you
0: uh, from the or is
1: that a young one called Kevin? No, do, do you want any work? Kevin's sitting in the office chair and he's normally very, here he goes again, he's making another yawn, he must be so bored that listen to us two talking, it's, uh, that's quite funny, so he's yawning away in the background. <laughs> Uh, uh, green with us that's that's fine <laughs> um, <laughs> and then and then finally scott on a, what the last piece of news which is right up your street which would be the oil and gas sector um oh, good news showing, yeah confidence is coming back there's um that
0: things are sort of stabilizing and actually there's an element of growth factor in there which is uh, one of the the major things so yeah and this is, I guess, despite that there's a No Deal Brexit could, you know, could double trade costs for the sector. So there's a latest uh, state of the economy paper by the Scottish Government chief um, economist, a, a chap called um, Gary Gillespie, and um, we should maybe try and get a hold of him to get a bit more clarity in this. But um, yeah, be good. They're looking ahead, conditions for growth in the oil and gas sector and its supply chain, um, i.e., you know, manufacturing and, and engineering supply chain, are more favourable now than they've ever been in recent times. Um oil and gas production in Scotland, believe it or not, increased by two point nine percent in two thousand and sixteen to seventeen, which, you know, with the latest quarterly sales revenue approaching pre two thousand fourteen levels, which is great news obviously well, that's okay. uh, when things were a bit more tricky.
1: That was before the before the bubble before everything went went uh, down down downhill a bit or downstream, should I say? Yeah.
0: I think there's, there's also, you know, there's, there's a few things that are challenging in there, but one of the things that c- caught my eye, and I remember having conversations with, with leaders within the industry and the supply chain of, um, whereby, as you know, having worked in manufacturing recruitment, and as Kevin knows in the background, as he's agreeing with me, is that within manufacturing, we tend to look at improving, you know, as an, an, an element of consistent continual improvement culture whether it's you know, within the production piece and the engineering piece or across the business. And one of the frustrations that, um, I guess, the oil and gas or the differences within that sector it's more around the line of they, they may well not embrace as fully, you know, the continual improvement piece yeah i've got, I've got one example where the 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 the, the, well, the the senior member of within a quality team you know within one of the, the major operators admitted that yeah he used to work in manufacturing where their standards were actually 20 times sorry 20 years prior <laughs> to where, um, to the standards he was actually working to from purely from a quality perspective at that time so there's a lot of change it's obviously happened in that industry. You know, to actually so so come on to the point that actually the average cost of producing a barrel of oil in the UK is now half from thirty dollars to fifteen dollars apparently. Um and to about- actually
1: produce it. So that's actually taking the oil out of the ground and putting it in to be yeah, sold so. as crude oil. I'll
0: be inter- yeah, and I'll be interested to see because I know that the North Sea is actually one of the tougher places in the world to get the oil out of. Do you know that way? So there is additional costs in there. So it would appear yeah. But, you know, the UK has, has definitely reviewed the processes and made themselves leaner, more efficient and, you know, maybe, maybe made some changes that allows the extraction of that oil to become more cost effective. Um, so so all good. So fingers crossed, because, I
1: mean, that is a massive market. So out of interest, Scott, if it's, if it's went down to $15 a barrel to produce it. How much is it now? How much is it selling for? Because it used to be like about a hundred dollars a barrel back in the day. What's it I kind of selling for back, now? Back in a long day ago, I think. Um, I think I, I had a
0: conversation two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, and at that point, that the break even number they were trying to hit was a 60 pound mark you know that's what once they hit 60 or over it was cost effective um but it, because it's been hanging around terry i mean it's been as low as you know it's been down at the 30 know, so it's been down it's been really low i think it's now stabilizing i haven't checked today i probably should have um, I don't know if you're still googling away there, but I'm sure it's um, it's around the sixty, you know, sixty-five dollars a barrel or so presently. Yeah.
1: Um, well, uh, it says there. I've just literally just googled it. The it does say it's around the sixty dollars a barrel. So you're bang on, actually there, Scott. So actually, so re- it's taking it's costing fifteen dollars to produce it. And it's getting sold as crude oil, barrel as $60? Yes. So on the basis that it's crude oil and it's to the relevant
0: standards, yeah, that, that's what, what it would be. But you need to remember that that number is only relevant how the UK would compete in the global marketplace. Do you know that way? Okay. So say you maybe went to, I don't know, Saudi Arabia. I, you know, our sort of yeah, Saudi Arabia yeah. actually it's, I don't know, 3 Three pounds to produce the oil. Do you know that way? The, wow. Then you're yeah. still in a, that 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 fifteen pounds or thirty pounds is is almost irrelevant, isn't it? But amazing the cost is of course getting to the UK. So there's a there's a number of factors that kick in, and I'm by no means no expert. In fact, you know, as you know, it's it's a learning curve for me as well. But um, yeah, I think. Um, ah, good though. That was interesting. It's all, it's all good news, but from a, a manufacturing standpoint, it will hopefully mean. There's more work happening so that, you know, that the smaller companies and I'm sure the bigger companies as well, there's more work to ground around um, and things Things will work out for the longer term. And, and these oil rigs that, that were piling up in, in Aberdeen and beyond uh, are now out doing some, doing some work. And, and from my own personal perspective, I'm just chuffed that they've actually um, embraced a bit of continual improvement in there. So that, that's good news.
1: Yeah, good, good, Scott. So moving on to the manufacturing hot topic this week. For those listening for the first time, every week we discuss a specific hot topic on the industry. In the previous weeks we've discussed: aut- autonomous cars, Industry 4.0, uh, the update, and uh, last week we did the food to go sector. How it's a multi-billion, you know, multi-million-pound business. It's only going to be growing. This week, Scott, what's the topic we're going to be covering? thought it was
0: relevant to, there's a lot of um challenges at the moment within manufacturing and I think it's very easy just to assume that it, all businesses have actually considered that and um so I think we'll look at actually the you know the, the, the man, you know challenges within manufacturing i
1: think that that's- yeah yeah so so the current, uh, the current challenges today in manufacturing, as we are sitting here in November two thousand and seventeen, and and with a, I guess a, a short term
0: view, not necessarily you know a long term view, but a certainly a short term view to the next you know six months, a year of actually what, what's potentially happening, because at the yeah. moment you know as, as you're fully aware, and, and, and most people within manufacturing, manufacturing outperforms every other sector in exporting, and forty five percent of the UK export. Is is actually sorry forty five percent of the UK exports and the, almost sixty percent and that goes to the EU <laughs> Do you know that way. So there's a bigger question in there about actually we're making all this stuff and the majority of it's going to the EU and now we're realising actually what how what is our relationship with the EU? I yeah, I, I think.
1: And then I guess yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think. You know, uh, you know, even even if we if we hit the the first nail in the head, Scott, with the to team because that's the that's the big one that's going up that, that everybody's aware of, because the impact of Britex in manufacturing, you know, can be very disruptive, obviously, to current business models and plans, and that could be from exactly as you just mentioned, there, a supply chain side of it. You know, so that might that might be importing or or exporting. You know, there's a there's a massive impact in that. Secondly, as I'm very well aware, you know, is uh, the labour skills uh, and a lot of people that I've been discussing with over the last sort of three to four months who are European citizens working in the, the UK, are uh, they, they certainly have the concern and they're reviewing whether they stay in the UK subject to what happens, uh, Brit yeah, uh, and, and move back. I mean, that, you it. know, well, exactly, exactly. I mean, give you an example, you know, down the southeast of England, um, a lot of European labour is used within the fruit and veg or fresh produce industry, and with that, you know, at the end of the day, it's a very and that, that's a very challenging environment to recruit people. At the best of times, the if a European workforce had, had had to leave, then it's going to have a major impact. Uh, that'll be that'll be major major impact on that sort of fresh produce, which is only going to impact the uh, the shelves and supermarkets, um, etc. And as, as you know, so it's it's very much to be aware of. And I know you when you were mentioning a couple of sales, so I know the so manufacturing. Uh, looking at it on, on online at the minute. In the, the 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 CBI report: forty five percent of the UK manufacturing, sorry, forty five percent of exports comes from manufacturing, and over half of that is then supplied into the EU. So that supply chain is really important. It's scary, and just see tying in with
0: your your comment there around the uh, you know the south south east. I guess is what what you're saying. You know, where there's a massive um, you know food food producing now. There's going to be a bit of um, engineering and a bit more heavier stuff there. But see that that actual um, manufacturing output to the UK economy on an annual basis, it, it's as much as um, it's forty eight percent of the UK total. It's, it's nineteen billion. Wow, <laughs> that's
1: a, that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal.
0: So, you know, those companies have all been fighting, not fighting, you know, but they'll been trying to attract the best talent for their organisations, you know, in that part of the world. Um, And and all of a sudden, you know, these people will be wondering, well, actually, you know, we we, we might want to review whether, you know, we should stay here. I don't know what your honest thoughts are, To My my personal view is I think there'll, there'll, there'll actually be an element of flux, I guess, but I do believe that, that 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 there's probably no reason for the majority of these people to actually um, to really, you know, to to up and leave just now because I think yeah, I I, the, I hope the, so. I, the impact of the UK economy is too too it's massive they're not going to let it happen.
1: Can't. Yeah, I I hope so. I hope so. Um, you know, I mean that would be the the, the worst case scenario that, that people do leave, and I hope that's not the case, but. You know, it's, it's prudent for manufacturing leaders to be seriously thinking about this and actually having some sort of contingency plan in place as well. You know, even as, as I was touching on, Scott, you know, the food manufacturing, it's not just about the sort of labour side of it. We, we look at exports. Uh, there's a possible implication of tariffs between an EU single market and the UK, yeah, and uh, which could massively increase costs for manufacturers. So talking about food manufacturers specifically, they could face an average EU tariff of 22.3% against the current 2.3% for non-food products. Okay, so it's not just all about factoring in the the labour side. It's actually there's going to be possible implications. Now, there'll be positive implications and there'll be negative implications. And it's actually weighing that up
0: the bottom line is though that, that there's a potential additional cost in there and these companies, um, especially in you know in the food sector, um, the margins are, are quite tight. And actually if you're making I don't know, you'll know better than I do, tell. if you're making a hundred thousand cakes, do you know that way, you know, you put the cost of sugar up by two pence or five pence because of a tax, you know, versus the volume that's actually getting used, you know, um, and yeah. it's it's you know, and it won't be just one part of the ingredient, I'm sure it'll be plenty others and it? it'll all soon add up. And if the cost of labour <laughs> is having to increase as well, you know, um, there's a whole other argument there. Therein lies another question, Terry, as well. Um, the reason that the UK is heavily relying on labour from further, further afield um, is because that the, the you know, UK nationals haven't really wanted to, to graft away in doing, I guess, less challenging roles. Do you know that way? So do you think? The UK labour market is maybe more evolved now. Do you think that there is potential that, that there's potentially schemes that would allow um, individuals to go and, and and take some of these jobs back? If the you know if if, 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 if I don't mean that, that we're taking jobs off anyone that's in a present role, but if, if people leave their jobs and there's vacancies, would you know would would there be a pool of individuals in the UK to to, to, to fall into that, or is it a case of um, whereby this you know, industry 4.0 is actually very relevant by actually a bit of of forward thinking and a bit of investment is the way to
1: do it. I think that's two very valid points, Scott. I think the first point is a a different topic in its own, but, you know, as we've previously, industry 4.0 definitely highlights actually where this could be hugely beneficial for minimising risk and disruption for business leaders within manufacturing, 100%. Um, And then, so so that's exports, you know, and if we're looking at, a lot of innovation and in R&D is supported by Europe. You know, and I know a lot of EU funding is, is supplied to R&D and manufacturing has, you know, manufacturing R&D accounted for 67% of the total UK R&D expenditure. And that was 2014, so I'm slightly out of date. But it gives you an idea of how hugely and highly exposed that manufacturing R&D yeah. Yeah, and, and any changes to any funding schemes is going to have a major impact. So that has to be considered. And that's, that's good to be, you know, it's one of the issues that might affect manufacturing. Do you remember when,
0: you know, there was companies that, you know, it used to be, especially within manufacturing, you had an r stroke design focused team that then would work closely with the manufacturing, you know, on-site team or on-site within the UK team um, to develop the product and, and it all kind of works succinctly together. What happened about what maybe eight years ago, it's certainly in my career, was that plenty of organisations were tempted over to China and other parts of the world um, to, to do the manufacturing piece. And some actually fully shut down and ran away um, and others actually kept some form of presence. Um, and, and what has actually happened um, which is relevant to this, is that, that a lot of manufacturing still does happen in, in China, but the, the quality standards and actually the, the, the unidentified costs um, that were involved, um, it was actually more prudent to, to, to keep things in the UK. And they've actually got formal design teams, you know, in, in the UK of, of these companies. But these companies, um, they, they, they need, as um, an element, well, there's an incentive as well for these companies to actually do that. And there's a government incentive and there's actually companies, I've, I've, I'm aware of of people that actually work in the sector that, that they work with manufacturing companies and happy to to help anyone that's that's found themselves not got oh, this tax rebate, but there's actually companies and the basis that there been r and work done that they can actually, you know, they, they, they can literally go through the process to claim that back. And it's, it's exactly the volume of, of numbers you're talking about, Terry. So I wonder if, you know, again tying in with this EU piece, will the UK government, you know, do a similar scheme? And and, and what will that actually mean to manufacturing? Because at the end of the day, if we're not leading the way from a, a design perspective, then it's cheaper to make stuff elsewhere, probably. To the fault quality standards, that's there's a there's a probably a, there's a there's a big question mark on that. Um, but but the world's changing. So so what, what do you think, Terry?
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, Scott. I think it's a valid point because what we are looking at as the effect of funding was taken away, or whatever. But what we really need to be thinking about is the positive side of what the UK government would do in, in return and make sure that if that's not equal value, if it's not more, because we should be embracing any R&D and actually uh, and, and, and really be, really establishing the UK as a leader, not only within manufacturing products, but actually innovation and developing new products uh, and exporting that to a global market, and that will position UK manufacturing once again at the forefront of of the global scale. And then, and then, going on to the the, the last point on our uh, on this is uh, obviously you know the addressing the skills crisis, Scott. You probably know more about that.
0: I we we need more skills. Uh, certainly, I, I could. Uh, you know, I think one of the the challenges that that, that all businesses have is attracting. Um, talent, and I believe that within, as, the, as it's known in the, in the world now, it's STEM skills—you know, such as science, technology, engineering, and mathematics—apparently, you know, half of the businesses in the, the manufacturing sector, and um, that's fifty, in fact, over half the businesses, fifty-five percent, are not confident of finding people with higher-level skills in these areas. Which is, I mean, that's okay. I mean. You know, literally, you know, people with science, technology, engineering or mathematics skills, there's a, you know, 55% of manufacturing companies in the UK are, are worried that, that they'll actually not be able to attract that. I don't know what uh, you, you've seen from any of the, the programmes that you've done or any of the, uh, I mean that from, you know, graduate programmes and, you know, developing companies, but
1: that's quite a stat. Yeah, I think things are getting done with that in the background. Maybe not in the skill that, that would be essential, but there's definitely stuff going on. There's a, I've been invited to a couple of STEM events where basically what you would do is um, go into schools and, you know, for me specifically, it'd be sitting in a high school uh, uh, fair or whatever it is, but actually giving careers advice and it's genuine. These people are interested in STEM careers and I've actually got, I think, three or four pencilled in the diary for the next two months. So I mean that's small stuff, but actually in the big wider scale, if more people get involved in that, there's more people exposed to the opportunities within uh, manufacturing and engineering, and, and 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 that should should help going forward. I think you know, I think you know when I was at school, the big thing was you become a lawyer, you become a doctor, and then when the real, realisation is that you maybe don't really want to do that, then you actually try and work out what's probably the best career for you, and you're probably doing your you know, starting to do your your um, A levels or or hires, whatever uh, that might be, and then you pick a a topic that sounds of interest for university. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then it's kind of driven about you know socially. You know what what you see socially acceptable, and and you kind of you know. So I think if that there's more of a push in the basis, of giving and specifically people at school more information, as much information as possible, much exposure to what manufacturing does. And that might be something we can do in future, Scott. We might actually, you know, with the manufacturing companies we do, you know, we could do a video about them all. I remember watching BBC and they were doing the inside the factory. I mean, we could probably do something really good in future course, about like that. Recruitment out to the masses at,
0: at an early stage, so we can get the, the apprentices, <laughs> the, the recruitment apprentices coming through as well.
1: Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that, but uh, aye. But at the end of the day, so uh, it's a. Uh, you know, it's good ideas. So, Scott, I'm just cautious of time, but I think that was really useful. um That hot topic. It was quite interesting, actually. So, you know, the key things is is britex exports, innovation, and then finally a skills crisis. So, that was four good points. I think we made there. Very much
0: so, and I think it's important factors that are going to kick in, and, and will probably evolve. So, we'll, we'll probably revisit that maybe second quarter of next year, I guess, to, to see how yeah. things are evolving because um, <laughs> the landscape is, is doing that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, so if you're tuning in for the first time also, we always do a recruitment minute on our podcast. And this is a discussion around recruitment within your manufacturing organization, uh, organization and, uh, you know, the angles faced by both people interested in roles within your company, you recruiting the best people for your business as possible. So over the the previous three podcasts, we've went through four potential problems as a manufacturing leader. That you face within recruiting the best staff for your company. And the last podcast, number three, we started on the first two of the four solutions uh, into those initial problems. So today what we're going to do is we're going to discuss the final two solutions to the, the problems. So uh kicking off, Scott, um I know the f- the one of the problems we mentioned was traditional recruitment processes being outdated. And that could be internally, you know, how everything's handled and and a solution would possibly be a, a dedicated recruitment partner. And when I was thinking about this, actually, um, over the past week, there's a lot of benefits to having a recruitment partner. Now, that, that doesn't necessarily mean a recruiter, right? That could be someone internal. It could be anyone, right? But actually having someone with a proven track record that knows the industry inside out and they can demonstrate this, if you ask them, you know, to demonstrate previous work or whatever, they should be able to do that. No problem at all. Someone that's actually, you know, um, really interested in in the manufacturing industry is it is integrated into that industry, they want to get to know your business. And more importantly, they want to get to know the team. They want to get a feel for the culture of your business and understand the processes. And it's all good Discussing the, the positives, i.e., growth and all that sort of stuff, but you know, really, who understands the challenges of a specific company and can um, can put in the right skill sets that are going to handle those challenges and actually turn the, turn those challenges into a, a into a positive impact overall. You know, in the culture, you know, and so someone that will suit into the current existing team, and and, and just to be crystal clear with us, you know, the the importance of this is. You know, this is someone that's going to have a direct impact on your success as a business leader. And more importantly as well, the business success, you know, someone that, that can put the right people in there, someone that who knows the full market, who's, who's got the full market coverage, an expert in man, in manufacturing, is able to attract the best people for your business. You get the right people straight away, can only, it can only benefit everything you're looking to achieve as a business leader. Scott, what's your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think it's, and, and I'm not going to cover all ground and some of the topics we've touched on in podcast one, two, and three, but um, I think at the end of the day, attitude of, you know, giving is everything um, at the end of the day and actually having, you know, part of, and I think sometimes the, the biggest factor maybe is that everyone, and sometimes it falls onto, you know, an HR manager or maybe a business owner, or it depends on how the structure of the organisation, but someone somewhere has a responsibility against recruitment. Probably because most businesses um, have an attrition, which is fine and it's actually a positive in the right environment at the right levels, of course. But um, actually having someone that, that that is is in there understands the business um, and whether it's worked with them for a period of time or consistently learns about the business over a period of time. Um, you know is, is certainly um can only make things quicker, more efficient, um, and actually allow the you know the given manufacturing business to to, to last longer term as well.
1: Exactly, exactly. Scott, you made a good point there, you know, because because we deal with a lot of um a lot of HR managers and business partners. And 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 to be fair, you know, a lot of a lot of the guys are, you know, their main focus is on the people within the site and recruitment is a part of that. But, you know, a lot, a lot of the guys are spread a lot, spread thinly as well, which isn't fair on on, on uh, HR by any means, unless, depending on the volume of recruitment, or an internal recruiter by any means, you know. But I think the benefit of using, a, you know, you know, using someone that you can trust is the fact that as this person's doing it day in, day out, they're building relationships, they know who's good in the market, they know who's not. You know, and, and yeah, there's a cost involved in that, of course. You know, it's a business at the end of the day. But you know, hopefully, you do see the, the ROI, you know, the return on investment, off that. Uh, you smile.
0: know, I always smile when I see. And to be fair, I get it actually as well. That the word um, that the recruiters you'll see in and many a LinkedIn profile or many a link, uh, many a, a, a recruiter that that you meet over the course um, will see that they're a specialist recruiter. That That's fine if you're recruiting, you know, and, and if, if you know you need an engineer and an engineering specialist recruiter, but actually the most important person that you could have in your business is actually someone that specializes in your business. Do you know that way? Rather than, you know, and, and, and understands because the ethos of that business will be whatever it happens to be. And it's important to, to, to work along those lines. And I guess um, knowing you know the, the HR community as I do and, and the manufacturing and industry, you tend to find that people like doing a good job and are quite proud of what they're doing actually relinquishing that control around the recruitment piece you know i think there's an argument you could have an extension of themselves that um whether it's employed by the business or you know through through you know en other means is is not a bad yeah. idea because it it's then yeah it's to, to the bigger picture.
1: and i think you see that a lot of people out there that use the buzzword i'm a specialist etc but really you know if, if you're a, a manufacturing business leader you know, and and uh, you know, you can quickly uh, sense check. You know who you're dealing with. You know, and ask for some some evidence of their previous work, etc. If that person is you know good at what they do, they should quickly be able to do that, and also provide you some references. Of why don't you phone X, Y, and Z because of the delivered of in the past? You know that that's someone that's uh, that's creditable and and knows a knows our industry, and then and then obviously moving on to the second solution, Scott. And this kind of dovetails with what we were saying about um, recruitment partner as well, hiring the right candidate first time. I think I think some some are to Pensworth again. You know, uh, recruitment recruitment processes are, in, are are really evolving. We talk about manufacturing evolving with Industry 4.0, but there's a big opportunity within recruitment as well. Um, and I think a lot of the time. Uh, when, I, when we've been working in, in previous years, you know a lot of the time you're dealing with a higher manager at various levels. You know, most will meet people and then go going. You know, if they tick the experience box, great, and then they'll go and gut feeling uh, if they feel that that person's right for the role. And um, they might do some background checks to ensure that they've got a good egg. But I think in order to enhance that gut feeling and actually make it more concrete. You know, you've got to take this a bit further. And I know through our own process, Scott, and this is what people can implement elsewhere as well, you know, internal recruitment, whatever that might be, we're very, very thorough about what we do. And if we're sending a shortlist for, say, a managing director to a food company or an automotive company or or a a precision engineering company, whatever that might be, what we ensure is, A, that that shortlist includes the candidate's CV they have a 10-minute video interview where that person is inputting extra information, so a bit more meat about the bones about that person. And, and, and the whole purpose of that is actually you will quickly get a feel for that person, and it saves a lot of time as well all round. And you've got a feel for that person if, A, they can do the job, and, B, you know what their personality is like, and et cetera. Now, to take away the gut feeling and the sort of behavior and personality as well, we also do a behavior test. Behaviours is different from personality. Behaviours can change, personalities can't. Now, the reason for the behaviour test, it isn't a tool used to, to either hire someone or not. It's very far from that. What we do within Bonfire is we will work with a specific business. We will then put all of the senior leadership team and we'll, we'll, we'll give them the option of doing the behaviour test, which most will do anyway. That gives us an overall profile of how the team's structured. Okay, and what the behaviours are like in the team. What we can then do is any candidate that's so getting put forward, the candidate will do the behaviour test and then we can take that profile and put it into the existing senior leadership team or any management team. It doesn't have to be a leadership team. It could be anything. Uh, you could benchmark it against a higher manager alone and see how the relationship is. But what it shows you is how the dynamics of that team may be altered, where the strengths are and where the, where the areas to, to probe an interview are. Very, very useful tool. What this and the reason why we do such a detail. This isn't you know so background checks and gut feeling is, is important as well as the experience of the person. But if you can give that that little bit more information up front, and it allows you to probe even deeper at interview, then hopefully that should make make sure that you know do you want know to what you've got enough backing where you're making the right hire every time. You know, because there's a lot of going back to the final problem, there's a lot of money wasted in hiring unproductive candidates. And we try and minimize that as much as possible by how is that how is that, Scott?
0: Yeah, I think it's 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 absolutely fair and crucial. I think that you know based on it, it doesn't matter what level within, you know, the organization and time is everything. Um so our process um, is designed yes to make us more efficient but actually also um, to allow clients to, to to have an efficient day and actually still get the, you know the best um, talent that they're, that they're trying to attract that is correct for their business i think you know certainly the, the, the feedback that i've had from from my clients and to be honest candidates um, as well is that the, the the video interview actually gives a fairer it, it almost allows people to jump on to like a second interview stage. Do you know that way? Because yep. at most interviews, you know, I guess there's an element of feeling for each other and, and, and sussing out if, if one could work with each other. In addition, of course, to make sure it's the right candidate for the role. So the actual, it can work in two ways. It can actually allow the conversation to to start very specifically about you know whatever the role is in actually getting into the nitty gritty without having to do the, the softer stuff um first um which can maybe be more covered off at the final part actually that you know with the right candidates so yeah. so um, it's, it's time effective it's it's arguably cost effective as well from mm. a you know, at the end of the day, no one needs to travel anywhere to get to, you know, to meet forever for a, a wasted meeting, arguably. Yeah, exactly. Isn't the right candidate. And if you do a typical day, you know, what you're talking, you know, a four, four days, four candidates that you're meeting all day, and actually, you know, maybe one of those candidates was the right one, but you still want to see another two. <laughs> do you know, that way there's
1: there's a lot of cost involved. So Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's definitely cost
0: and, and, and
1: time efficient. Okay, and I think, um you know, just... Throwing that just to finish up, Scott. Just throwing that back in its head. I think you know, and you don't know this yet. um, It's something I was. I've been. uh, I've seen something today on LinkedIn, which kind of got me thinking. It's not. It's not always about actually the candidates doing the video. I think what we are going to start implementing as a business, Scott, is actually getting higher managers to do a video and allow them to discuss what they're looking for from an individual about a background, about the business, about a background about the company. Because see, at the end of the day, in this type of market, we're working with people that not, that don't necessarily want to, you know, they're not actively looking by any means, but they want to know about key opportunities that are going to develop their career. And with that, they want to make sure that actually, you know, if they've got that information in front of them, there's going to be more people interested in that particular business because they'll be able to see what the company does, what the business does, what the team does, what the hiring managers like. And actually, yeah. they'll be more receptive to actually going for an interview. So I think as a business, Scott, you know, this is the first you've heard of it. I think that's what we're going to be implementing going forward. I think it's very well, important. It's, it's definitely
0: another tool there, Terry. To be honest, we've we, you know, we we've done versions of that, haven't we? I guess that's taken it to the next logical stage where, you know, some of the questions that we will ask on the video interview is actually from the client. You know, that way is actually as part of... A, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I guess there's, you know, some individuals would are quite comfortable in front of the camera from it, you know, but others may not. So we can still run both processes. That that, that would be an issue. Um, good. But it is, it, the output is, you know, making sure that, that the right person is, is you know, and it is, gets the job for the long term.
1: Um, and it's the best possible person for the company to, to, to drive whatever plan or strategy might be going forward. That was good, Scott. I enjoyed that. So, you know, just kind of wrapping up, a lot of good topics there. A lot of good points. Next week we'll be doing similar. I think we're going to try and get someone on a call, though, Scott. That's that's over to you. <laughs> just to get just a weekend. <laughs> so I think um, we'll try and get someone on a call. It'd be great to uh, to do that now. Obviously, we'll go through the latest news next week. I think the hot topic. What we'll do is: Are the banks truly supporting manufacturers' growth plans? Um, and what that'll be, it won't be specifically, completely to, targeted towards banks, but we'll talk about funding because. Manufacturing is obviously improving on the PMI. There was a lot of opportunity for innovation, as we've touched on with Industry 4.0. More people will be starting, you know, be thinking of it, are in the process of looking to invest in machinery. Therefore, let's have a let's let's have a hot topic about discussing about funding and grants, and you know, but you know, focused around you know, banks. Uh, are they supporting those growth plans going forward? Um, and then the recruitment minute. Um, so that's us. We've done our four problems and we've given you the four solutions. So really a lot for you to think about. Um, I think what we'll do next week, Scott, is we will do the importance of knowing your market to recruit the best people for your business. So that will be all around, you know, do you know how many people are in your market for any specific yeah. sector? You know, do you have access to them? I nearly said that earlier. Actually, it's a natural stem on
0: point from from what you were saying earlier about you know making sure it's the right candidate for the you know first time round, and, and the only way of doing that is knowing that you know the size of your market and then um, you know the individuals in there. So we can talk about that. That's a good
1: good idea, Terry. I like. Yeah, and and then you know in future podcasts we might do well. Do you want you know what you, you you've got you've got visibility of the whole manufacturing market from management perspective? How do you Define the top fifteen percent in that market to make sure you're getting the 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 best people for your business. I think that would be quite. Sounds 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 like that one is in you in your shoulders, Terry. All right, Scott. Right, thank you very much for that, Scott. That was great questions. If you uh, maybe come on the podcast one day and you've got something you want to raise, drop us an email. My email, is Terry, that's T E W R Y at bonfire dot or scott, scott at bonfirerecruitment.com. That's scott, S-C-O-T-T. Thanks for tuning in and uh, we look forward to the next podcast next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Manufacturing Ignition podcast. If you've made it this far, we take it that you enjoyed the show. In return, we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Subscribe while you're there and we'll catch you for the next episode.